0: Good morning. Welcome to One Church. How are you guys doing? Good. Wonderful. We're doing as good as well. Are you, any of y'all hot? Oh, yes. Praise Jesus. Um, hey, I want to say just a special thanks to all of those military men and women and the families this weekend. Uh, this is... Uh, This is a time um, where we say thanks one weekend a year for the sacrifice not only you make, um, but uh, families you make day in and day out. Um, and we just want to say thank you very much. Uh, we don't do that enough, and we love you guys and guys very much. So. Um, Today, we are a third week in our four-week series called Some Questions Can't Be Answered by Google. Let me tell you, the reason why we're doing this series is because we know there's some people out there that you just have some questions. And you've been kind of on the fringes of Christianity. And um, you just, the reason why you haven't really given it your all is because you have some questions and nobody's really, you know, answered your questions. And um, we're just, that's the reason why we're doing this, is just so that we can kind of be with you guys and dialogue. Um, We don't know what's going to be coming up. Um, And I will tell you this, though. There are a lot of questions that we may have answered the first hour, that if you weren't here the first hour, there's some people, I kid you not, have been coming both hours because they want to hear both questions. Um, We are taking both sermons and we're combining them together and we're putting that on the podcast as well as you can listen to it off of our website exitonechurch.org and um if we get a question we say we've already answered that one we answered that last week uh, that way you can go and listen to it i'll also say this that um if we don't get to your question because one of the things we've realized is you guys are really quick at texting and uh and we're a little bit slower at responding because i'm verbose and uh, so uh, after this series, all of our teaching pastors are going to get together, and we're going to take four or five questions. Or we're going to take all the questions, and we're going to answer them, and we're going to do it in newsletter format, so um, just to let you know. All right, le- uh, to my left, Danny Brier. And to my right, no, it's, it's Joshua Woodleaf. Let's give it up for Josh. All right, cool. All right, let's get started. First question I see on my computer. Since there are good and bad consequences for every decision, whether saved or unsaved, how can we say it's God's answering and not a natural course of events? Mm, I need a Coke. All right. All right. Since there are good and bad consequences for every decision, whether saved or unsaved, how can we say it's God's answering and not a natural course of events? All right.
1: Danny, how do you feel?
2: (laughs) That's a tough question. Um, I guess it depends on, you know, we'll make lots and lots of decisions. And, you know, some decisions really don't have necessarily good or bad consequences. I don't know if that's necessarily true for everything, but for many things, God clearly has put into place and into order uh, an order in our world. Uh, that's what we call nature in a sense, but God's the one that established nature. He's the one that established that order and he's the one that established the consequences that come with certain kinds of, of decisions. For instance, the consequence of death that's the that comes with the decision of sin. Uh he from the very beginning he told Adam and Eve, you know, on the day that you eat you will die. It was the, the, it was stated and the decision was there. So that consequence I think is pretty uh clear and it's um how can we say it's or the savior, the savior Maybe that question is asking about prayer and whether things are just the natural consequences. Of I'm not really quite sure. I'm going to pass to one of you. All right. Well,
0: I like talking. Um, I do. There are consequences to every decision. It's like uh, if I here's a water bottle. If I pick up one end of the water bottle, I'm picking up both ends, right? Um, for every decision we make, there is a consequence. Decision, consequence. You grab, make one decision, there's a consequence. Um, God set that up. In fact, in, um, in Exodus, he tells the children of Israel, he says, here's what you're going to do. He says, that he put them on, there's 12 tribes, and he put six on one mountain called Mount Ebal, and he put six on another mountain called Mount Gerizim. And what they did is, why are you laughing? Keep on. I'll come. It's the Ebal, right? That's what he's trying to
2: avoid the question.
0: Um, So what he does is he puts six tribes on Mount Ebal, six tribes on Mount Gerizim, and um, and what they do is at one uh, on Mount Gerizim they said if we obey God. Then blessings, this will happen. We're going to be fruitful and multiply. Uh, we're going to have children. Um, we're going to have. Uh, uh, we're going to not be in debt. We're going to have all of this stuff. All right, all this stuff happens because we chose to obey. And then on Mount Ebal, the six tribes would say, "Okay, because we've chosen to disobey, then here are the co- consequences for that." So you know, is it God's answering a natural course of events? I don't think there is a natural course of event, events. Mm-hmm. If you make A choice, and God told you not to, the consequence for that is it. okay, it's like God says, I want you to be sexually pure. And you choose to disobey that. And because of that, things happen. Um, If you're a guy, girl, you dabble in pornography, your mind is is warped. And you have this, this skewed view of intimacy. Is that a natural course of events? No. God said, don't do it. Uh, um, God says, "Listen, I don't want you to lie," and you start lying, and you lie to this person, you lie to this, person, and you can't keep it all together, and and you get caught out, and you get fired. Was that a natural course of events? I don't think so. I think all God is in control of everything, and um, when we start separating, well, if I do this on Sunday and this is okay, but if I do it Monday through Saturday, it's you know, it's just it's natural. It's all spiritual. Everything is spiritual. There is no secular. Everything is spiritual. And when we choose wrongly, then things are going to happen. Things are going to happen. All right, I'll beat that. You want to say anything? Sure. Um,
1: I think with this question as well, um, you know, it, it said saved or unsaved. I, I think the word picture I kind of like to think about with God, is almost as if God is the president. You know, Barack Obama is your president whether you like him or not. Um, that's a different issue. But whether you like him or you dislike him, he's still the President of the United States. And his decisions still affect you. And it's the same with God. Saved or unsaved, it doesn't matter. He's in control of everything. Um, that's just kind of how I like cool. to see it.
0: That's good. good. You, you answered that in a whole lot less words than I did. I
1: have that gift.
0: <laughs> Maybe you should answer all the questions. How many of y'all want to, Josh to answer all of them? <laughs> all right, that's Daniel, a bad idea. It's a bad idea. I'm going to take some consequences. Hold on. All righty. Next question. What type of accountability should be used for pastors and staff members, and are we using it? That is a great question. Let's say this. Jeremiah 17 says the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? That includes all of us up here are sinners. Um, so, what type of accountability should be used for pastors and staff? Well, one of the ways that we've done it here at One Church, and, um, and we actually have multiple layers of accountability um, when it comes to money. I don't know what people make. I don't, you know, I don't single handedly write checks by myself. Um, I don't deal with the money. Our executive pastor, Danny Brier, does that. Um, we have a staff where it's not just um, we have full time staff, and then we have volunteer staff. And um, we, uh, we did it that way so that there can be accountability for me and Josh and Ashley. They're our, our full-time pastors. And um, the rest, of, uh, Danny Bourier is a, a volunteer. Uh, Mike Nelson, who's not here, is a volunteer. Luther Ramsey's a volunteer. Andy Wargo, who's this is his last Sunday, um, he, he's been on staff. He, uh, he's a volunteer. Greg Walker. Um, I'm trying to think. I want to make sure I, I didn't miss Ashley. Ashley. Well, I, I mentioned Ashley. She's not a volunteer. So we pay her. we we still pay her, right? Yes. um, Yes, we do. Anyway, uh, so uh, uh, we we all meet on Mondays, and we don't make decisions just Chris, because this is not a dictatorship. Um, We do everything in team-based leadership. Now, even in those decisions, we have another church that holds us accountable financially, and I have a boss that I report to. Um, and uh, so uh, another church has given us guidance in that as well. So that's our accountability structure. And uh, this year, uh, we're actually working on getting church governance in place where we have elders and, and deacons and all that stuff. And you can definitely be praying for that. Uh, so, anyway, so anything you want to add to that? I'm gonna, I would just add,
2: this is our ultimate accountability. We're accountable to God. And everything that we do has to come through. Uh, God's leading to us and through the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God, and it, we hold ourselves accountable, and we want to be held accountable to the that's Word right. of God. We should never do anything that is not consistent with what god's word says, mm-hmm. and I, we try to do that and talk back and forth, but that is exactly you know what accountability God's the one that put that in place, and we need to that's submit right. ourselves to him
0: that's right. everything that we do is evaluated, my sermons are evaluated, worship is evaluated, we evaluate all of that on Monday nights. And uh, so there's been some Monday nights that I've had to go in and I had to apologize to the staff and said, um, um, you know, I I said something that I shouldn't have said. And that happens to me a lot, to be quite honest with you, because I talk a lot. So anyway, All right. Next question. (laughs) I'm reading the question. Uh, For the love of everything. Holy. Holy. Answer this question. Can you lose your salvation? Yes or no? No. Next question. Okay, I, I'm, I'm just going to, y'all going to get me preaching this morning. All right, I, I want to just go and, and and just look at some stuff real quick. And I know you wanted a yes or no, but y'all, y'all know I can't do that. John 5, 24. I, I've answered it, but I'm going to give you some scripture behind that. John 5, 24 says this. Um, I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have, everybody say the word have. Have eternal life. They will never, everybody say never. never. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. Have. Not hope to get. Not one day you're going to pray real hard. Have. Everybody say have? Is that clear? All right. You know, I'm going to keep on going though, because I just like preaching. All right. Uh, John six thirty eight. 38. All right, John 6, 38 through 40 says this. "Um, For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me and not to do my own will. And this is the will of God that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me. Um, He says, you know what? I'm not going to lose anybody. All right. Now, think about this. If somebody accepts Jesus Christ and has eternal life and then they lose eternal life, then it wasn't eternal, was it? Right? Let's just, let's just play some words, all right? Let's talk about that, all right? I'm going to just throw out some more verses. Romans 8, 1. For those who are in Christ Jesus, you are never condemned. Everybody say the word never. never. All right? Um, I'm going to keep on going. Uh, John chapter 10, uh, verse 27 through 29. All right? Um, uh, my sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. What was that? No one can snatch them away. Are you no one? Yes. All right. All right. Uh, last one, Acts, Epistle of Romans. Uh, Romans, uh, by the way, I didn't cuss there. I said Acts, the Epistle of the Romans. All right, just to let you know. Um, <laughs> verse 38, if you go back listen to the podcast, you realize I was just... Okay. See, that's right there. I got myself in trouble right there. All right. Uh, Romans eight thirty eight, And I am convinced that nothing, everybody said the word nothing, nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Next question. If you'd come out of your show, you'd be all, all right. right. You know? As a wife, how do you sow submission to your husband when he's not making godly decisions? We're really qualified
2: to answer
0: that question. Yeah. This is where I really need my wife up here. I'm telling you what, because I've made some jacked up decisions in the past. Um, who wants to answer that? I got married
1: five months ago. I don't have a clue. Y'all <laughs> <laughs> Oh. I love you, baby.
0: You, I, you know, somebody, Tony Evans said this. He says the, de- the best definition of submission he's ever heard is, is the wife ducking so that when God swings, he hits your man. So, you know what? If your husband is making ungodly decisions, God's going to deal with it. Really. He's going to deal with it.
2: Please, go ahead. One of the things about that question, when he's making, not making godly decisions, and I think that's the, nowhere does the Bible, I think, command uh, anyone in submission to to submit to something that is disobedient. That's right. Uh, So, if your husband is being disobedient, to God's word, you're not commanded to submit uh, to Him and be disobedient as well. That's not the that's not the way Scripture.
0: Can we give an example? A, uh, let's say your husband is saying, I, "I'm going to go rob a bank, and I want you to go rob the bank with me." Okay, are you supposed to submit and say, "Yes, dear, let's go to Legends," All right? No. All right. You, you say, "You know what? I love you, but God's word says, you know, don't steal. So I'm not going to do that." Continue.
2: And I would just. So I think that's one of the ground rules that we have to lay. And so often we talk about submission as if it's this kind of control or rule over and and a, and, and a domination over the, the husband, over the wife, the leaders, over the church. That's not the point at all. You know, we're supposed to, husbands, we're supposed to serve our wives. I've been married for 30 years. Uh, and I can tell you that this is something that in our, the course of our marriage, there have been a few times where it's come up where Shannon and I just disagreed about a decision. Uh, it wasn't... That I was deciding to do something ungodly, uh, necessarily, but we just disagreed about a decision about how we were going to handle something. At that point, Sharon would has just said, "Okay, Danny, I'm going to trust you. I think you're wrong, but I'm going to let you make that decision and let you face the consequences because I have to answer to God for that for that decision." Um, I just think that's just one of those issues we don't we don't dominate. Men don't should n- never. There's, the idea of dominating and ruling over it and just telling the wife what to do all the time—that's not biblical. That's right. That's not the way Christ uh, has loved us and demonstrated His love for us. Right? That's, right. that's that's just not what it's about. And when we we use that word, men use that word for control and for domination, and that's sinful. Yeah. And we, we don't need to be doing that at all. Uh, I, I can I can tell you this: I don't think ever in my married life, again thirty years, have I said, "Sharon, submit." I, I, she'd probably hit me if I did, but <laughs> I, 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 I know honestly, she would. <laughs> would. <laughs> That's not the point. I'm not supposed to be out there yelling, submit to me. Just like Jesus Christ doesn't yell best that to right. us. He's told us, and he knows what's best for us, and he wants Good. us to submit to him in our life. When we don't do it, we pay the consequences. We face consequences for that decision like we talked about earlier. And I think when we get out of order in our marriage or in any relationship, I'll add one, I'm an attorney. I work in a courtroom. Sometimes I've been very unwilling to submit to judges. I thought about this because there's a judge in the, in the former judge in the in the audience right now who sometimes I would get angry with, and I didn't want to submit to her. But I didn't have any choice. You know, you have to do that, or you face the consequence. And that's just one of those. It's we don't rule over and dominate and tell people what to do. The whole point is, as husbands, we should be loving our wives and serving our wives. And frankly, I think if you've come to a point where you just have to say, "Do this, submit," you just you've got some severe problems. Good. Good answer.
0: Good answer.
2: Like I said, we're not the woman. I don't. That was
0: a question. I'm not. Biases. I don't. Yeah. All right. You got to listen to your wife. All the bad decisions I've made, usually my wife is saying, "Don't do it." Me too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Me too. All right. Next question. Does wanting to get married keep God from giving you someone to marry? Josh? I can take it. Yeah. Wow. I'm hung up.
1: Sorry. Um, I can take this. Um, You know, I've always heard people say that, you know, if you focus so much on getting married and you want to be with someone else and this or that, God's never going to give them to you. And we present God like he's some jerk, but he's not, you know. And I think that, you know, in Psalms he talks about, um, David says, you know, that when we when we trust in God, when we make God our desire, that he will give us the desires of our hearts. And that's not some weird thing like, oh, I want a new Cadillac, and Jesus, I trust you. But it's, I, I think it, that it's, it's, it's truly God's will f- for marriage. I mean, if we look in Genesis, you know, chapter 2, in verse 18, he just says, It's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. You could ask my wife, it ain't good for me to be alone. <laughs> Um, I promise you I'm not good by myself and and for the longest time I wanted to be married You know, I was I was with someone before samantha and it was just it was just not it was not right I always wanted to get married. It never worked out And then god gave me somebody that is just the most awesome woman in the world um, To to be someone that was suitable for helping me and that was my desire and god knew that that was my desire He just had to send the right person You know, I've known people, um, friends of mine in Nashville that are 40 years old that have just gotten married. I know some people who are 50 with their first marriage, but they waited and they waited and they waited and God sent them someone and they are happier now for waiting rather than making a stupid decision and marrying someone that is stupid. They marry someone who God sends them because they wait and they trust in God. Uh That's
2: good. I mean, just we don't ever force God to do anything. I mean, (laughs) you know, that's just kind of we just don't do that, and you know, if our desires—that's to, to God wants to give us the desires of our heart. He that's wants right. the desires of our heart. To that's be Psalm consistent. thirty-seven, four. Right. Yeah. Quote the passage. Thank there you go. He, he wants the He wants the desires God. of our heart to be consistent with His desires for us. He wants the best for us. And if He has laid that desire on your heart, and you've checked that, and you see that that's where God has you, then you keep praying for it because God loves to give us the desires of our heart.
0: All right, next question. When I feel lost in my journey to Christ, what can I do to find myself closer to God? When I am lost in my journey to Christ, what can I do to find myself closer to God? I'm telling you, the first thing I'm thinking of, number one, you gotta get into a church. You know, going to church doesn't save you, but I've never met a growing Christian who's not been involved in a church. All right, there's a reason for that. When you take... um, it's not wintertime, um, but when you t- when you have a fire going in the fireplace and you take a coal out of the fireplace that was glowing red hot, what happens to that coal? It dies down, and that's what happens to us. There are no such there's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. So you got to get involved in a church. I would even say to four. you need to get involved in a community group. Just coming here on Sunday morning doesn't do it. I got uh, two people right here I'm in community group with. I got another two right here. These people know me not as pastor, but these people know me as Chris. And they know what I struggle with. They know what's going on in my life right now. They've seen Kim and I argue. Um, And and they realize that we need help, but we can't do it alone. Um, I see you smiling. You've seen Kim and I argue as well, uh, Luther and Rhonda. So we'll just leave it at that. Um, But if if you're getting lost in your journey to Christ, then you know what you got to read your Bible like no other time. You got to get around people who are hungry. You got to get in that community group so that people are asking you those questions. I'm in I'm in accountability group with Danny. We meet every Monday morning at 7:45, and another dude named Bill Johnson, and uh, and they they can ask me any question I want to, any question they want to. Excuse me. Um, but uh, that, if you're finding yourself getting lost, reading your Bible, getting to a community group, get involved in the church. That's going to help. It's going to help. How many of y'all have ever eaten a big meal and you're full, and then you go to Krispy Kreme donuts maybe afterwards? And and that that smell, dear Jesus. You know, they got the the flashing red, you know, thing. And and even though you're full, just being around there, what does it do? Makes you hungry. You want to know as a Christian how you get hungry? You hang out with other hungry Christians. Can
2: I add, first, no. every, <laughs> I'm going to do it anyways, <laughs> yeah, yeah. every, every believer goes through dry periods, yes. Don't, the first part of that question, some people think that that should never be true, but we all go through dry periods, As a matter of fact, the scripture tells us that God allows us to go through the desert, he even takes us into the desert at times, so that we will look to him, and put our trust in him. Uh, if you read the Psalms, one of the things that I love about David, you know what David did when he was in those dry, dead periods? He remembered what God had done in his life. Mm. And I can tell you, that's what really, uh, what, when I get dry and when I start turning away from the Lord, one thing I want to do is run away from the church. I don't want to be in community with other believers because I want to run away. And so that's part of that. Being in community is really important. But when you start remembering what God has done in your life. Just start listing those things, giving Him thanks for what He has done. And very quickly, you will no longer be dry. I I just absolutely believe that. And I'll tell you the other thing. I come to church, to corporate worship sometimes, and if if I haven't been walking with the Lord and I'm not close to the Lord, you know what I don't want to do? I don't want to sing. I do not want to open my mouth. And when I do, when I submit and start to open my mouth, the Holy Spirit begins to work in my life. And I I can tell you, I've been married for over 30 years, been a believer since I, can, since I was a child, and I can just tell you that that's the way God has worked in my life over and over and over again.
3: Hmm.
1: Cool. I think in my most broken times when I, I feel myself most far from God, um, I think the more honest I am with Him and myself, the easier it is for me to get out of that. And as well, you know, with David in the Psalms, we see him all the time. You know, God, have you forgotten me? God, have you forgotten me? And there's this there's this thought in church that we can never ask God questions or that we can never say, God, I'm ticked about this. Or God, you know, this is where I'm at. He already knows, you know, and I think he wants us to be honest with him and open ourselves up and just say, here's where I'm at, God, and I need you to change it. Because on our own... We're messed up. We can't do anything on our own. But I think when we finally get honest and get desperate enough to say, God, I'm jacked up, I'm here, and I can't
0: do anything about it, I believe he starts to change us. Mm -hmm. Next question is this. Um, Is there a difference between sin or is it all equal? Um, I believe the Bible teaches, um, number one, sin, whether it's lying small or doing something huge, um, separates from Jesus Christ, separates us from God. But I also believe that the Bible teaches um, we have a tendency to put degrees on sin. Oh, you're a, you're, oh, you're that person. Oh yeah, you're a worse sinner than I am. And we have a tendency to judge. God says, "I died for all sin." Um, so um, uh, I think we have to be careful there, saying that one is, you know, there are different consequences to sin. You know, if you if you're in your uh, work and you steal a paperclip, all right you're probably going to still have a job, all right? If you embezzle $50,000, probably not, okay? Is both of them sin? You betcha, but there are different consequences of sin. And I believe even the Bible teaches there are different consequences of sin. In fact, in First, Thess- First Thessalonians chapter four, it talks about sexual sin. And he says this, sexual sin is one of the most worst sins of all because you're, you're harming your own body. So um, we have to be careful. Um, it, um, I'll give you a word picture, all right, and then we'll be done with this uh, question. Um, when, uh, oh, this is good. Um, when, um, if, if you are on, if, if you're standing in the bottom of the Grand Canyon, all right, so you're really, really low in the Grand Canyon, and I'm, let's say, uh, you know, at Pike's Peak, Okay, there is a visible difference. You're a whole lot farther down than I am, and I'm a whole lot taller. Than, I'm a whole lot higher than you are. That's how we grade sin here on earth. I'm a whole lot better than you are, and look how terrible you are. The problem is we're looking at it at our perspective. You pull back, and you go all the way back, and you stand on the moon, and you look both at you and me. And you know what we look like? Those who are in the Grand Canyon, those who are in the top of Pikes Peak. We look like we're side by side. God is so high in His holiness that when He looks down, He sees sin as sin, and we may think, hey, "You're you you do that? Oh, oh my God!" And you know what? It, we're great at that at church. We're really good at that at church. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, I've heard a lot of people you you know preach against drunkenness, and they look like me. You know. Um, you don't hear a lot of pastors preaching about gluttony, you know. And and both drunkenness and gluttony are a sin. Very clear. Anyway, I beat that. All right. Um, y'all have anything you want to say about that? All right, cool. What does the Bible say about interracial marriage? This is a good one. It's a good one. Danny. Well,
2: I don't think it says anything about it to me. I mean, there's, old, there's some Old Testament law, and they're dealt with Israel and stuff, and some people might take that to say that the Bible says that interracial marriage is wrong. But that's a complete misunderstanding, misapplication of Scripture. I don't think the Scripture says anything about interracial marriage. We all uh, are equal in God's eyes. We're all humans. Not. It's no, and nowhere condemned, and it, it, it nowhere spoke against. It, 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 there's no reason for that at all.
0: Um, yep. I believe interracial marriage, I believe the way the, way the Bible teaches, Moses had, was in an interracial marriage. Seriously. All right. And everybody started talking about Moses' wife, and God struck him with leprosy. That's just a form of racism. And you either need to change your heart. Or y'all don't get you, you just need to change your heart. All right. You need to change your heart. God don't say nothing about let me tell you what the Bible does say about marriage, though. It doesn't say anything about interracial marriage, but it says if you're a Christian and you think, should I marry him? He's not a Christian, but he looks so good. All right, mm. you know what the Bible says about that? Don't do it. All right. So the Bible does talk about marriage. It says, "Don't be." It's a very churchy. Forgive me. Uh, don't be unequally yoked. That's how it means. And it just says, "Don't." If you're a Christian, don't marry a non-Christian. So if you're praying about God's will, you know, should I marry him or should I marry her? She's just good-looking. All right. She's not a Christian. You are. The answer is no. All right. We're done. You think it was a minute? Well, I was just going to add.
2: In the Old Testament, when God told the Israelites not to marry outside of uh, the Jewish uh, people, that was the point. It was it had nothing to do with race. It had everything to do with having a relationship with God and them being God's people and marrying people who had a, who were serving and worshiping other gods. That's the whole point, and that's exactly what we're commanded not
0: to do. Great question. Great question. All right, next question. Did we lose
2: something?
1: Battery, mm-hmm. All right, what should Christians think about contraceptives? All right.
0: <laughs> Danny?
3: <laughs>
2: I'm going to be honest. I, I, this is, When we first got married, and when I was 20 years old, my thought was, if God wants us to have children, we'll have children. If he doesn't want us to have children, we won't have children, and we're not going to use contraceptives. Uh, after I got married... I started to get afraid, (laughs) to be be downright honest with you, and we started to use contraceptives. Um, Some contraceptives, contraceptives that that, uh, take the life of an egg that has been conceived, I think are inappropriate or immoral and should not be used. And that's the line that I try to draw there. I I think you do what God calls you to do there, and you know that God is never going to call you to take a life. Uh, The life of an unborn child is a life that he's never going to call you to take. So that's an easy line that the Scripture draws, and it's one. The ideal of contraceptives, we don't really you know, understand a whole lot more about it, but I think that's, to me, that's kind of the line that I took. And, and frankly, I think it's an issue of you trusting in God and allowing God to, to take care of that decision. Now, whether you use contraception or not, between you and your, your maker.
0: Kim and I did uh, for the first five years of marriage. When she stopped, literally the next month we got pregnant. So uh, there was a <laughs> – um, the Bible doesn't say – Again, a lot of denominations say you can't um, I don't believe God's word you know and here's the thing. some people say, well, you're playing God, and if God wants you to have here's the thing if God wants you to have children, a little piece of latex is not going to keep you from getting kids all right Not to get too downright honest, but our third child came that way so um it, it really if God wants you to have a child, guess what? You're gonna have a child, all right. So um, I think you need to be you need to be wise, and uh, if, if if that's what you've agreed on as a, as as a husband and wife, then do it, then do it, all right. Uh, last question. Thank. You. Where do you see our church in five years, and what are the top three qualities you want people to know us by? Where do you see our church in five years, and what are the top three qualities you want people to know us by? Where I see us in five years, um, anybody know our mission statement? (laughs) To lead people into a growing relationship. That's what we're going to be doing in five years. Are we going to have a building? Don't know. Be honest with you. Don't care. I, God, if God gives us land and a building, we know eventually that might come. But that is not our goal. Some people have said, you know what, we'll, we'll come on board one church when y'all become a normal church. And mm-hmm. What that mean is when you have a building, you get in debt. Well, um, number one, I'm not a normal person, so we ain't never going to be normal. <laughs> That's, All right? true. That's um, true. That's right.
2: <laughs> Amen, bro. <brother. laughs>
0: All right. Anyway, um, but uh, our goal is always, you know, land and buildings are going to burn. And i tell you, and every church, when they start out, they start out with a small group of people and very few have land or building. And so many times when they get the land and building, their focus starts getting off God and people and they start worrying about paying the debt. And I've got to be honest, I never want to be that way. If we become a church that's so focused on buildings... I, that will be the day I resign and I'm planning on God willing to be here the rest of my life. So um uh, but I know it, it's going to happen one day. It will. But I promise you this, when it happens, that will be the first Sunday that we go multi-site. And Let me explain what I mean by that. Is where we're in a church meeting in our own facility but we maybe we're back at the movie theater. And we don't we don't get saying this is my stuff and this is what the pew that my aunt Edna you know, died for, and she put the plaque on. You know what I mean? We're, that's not what we're about. Our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And I got to be honest with you. This past week, Josh, myself, and another dude, um, we drove all day long in North Clarksville looking at, at, at just houses in neighborhoods. Nine out of ten people in your neighborhood don't go to church anywhere. Nine out of ten. And we're just going to keep on planting churches. We're going to keep on. We're going to keep on saying, okay, we're going to. We've got a one church meeting at Northeast High School. We're going to have a one church meeting at the theater. One church meeting on post. A one church meeting outside Gate Four. Uh, when uh, here's what. So we have, we're ministering to so many military military folks. Seventy percent of our church is military. And, and I, you know, I, I prayed with a, a person just last week who left for Fairbanks. And, you know, we're trying to find a church. Well, when people go to Fort Hood, Fort Eustis, Fort Bragg, that we start planning one church is there. And we're the same church, one church meeting in a different location. Uh, Tracy Belfield who's right down here. This is her last Sunday with us. Nick and Tracy were were with us from the very beginning, over two years ago. And they're moving to New Orleans. And we're going to miss you a lot. We're going to miss you a lot. But so many people have left one church because the military have taken them. And you know what? We're going to say, you know what? We're going to plant a church there so that when you leave here, you go there. And maybe it's different faces. It's different staff. But we're one church meeting in a different location. So that's our passion. It's not about buildings. It's not about land. It will never be about that. It's about reaching people. And if God gives us that stuff, great. If he never gives us it, great. But we're about Jesus and people and connecting those two together. That is our heart. Um, I'm going to have these other guys, these other yahoos answer these uh, other uh, three. What do we want to be known by? We'll start with Danny Breyer. Since you called me a weirdo. (laughs) (laughs) We
2: want to be known by our love. Biblical. That's what we want to be. We want to be known by our love. We want to be known for being unified. And, And this is probably a very personal passion with me. We want to be known as a church where you are the church and where you are the ones that are leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not about the staff witnessing and, and, and leading people to Christ. That's part of what we do. as who we are. But it's about each one of us leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. I would love to be in a church that is known for its love, for That's its right. unity, and for everybody being someone who is, loves the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, soul, body, and strength. And we share that love for the world. That's right.
0: Good. What about you,
1: Josh? Um, I would definitely say... That we would be a passionate people, um, you know, in, in our relationship with Jesus, our pursuit of him and, and our pursuit of, of what you said, of our pursuit of people, you know, that we would just be passionate about that, that we would live it and breathe it, that we would understand that the mission of Jesus is not something he left up as an option for us, but it's something that he said, go and do this. And we become passionate and we start eating and drinking Jesus's vision, reach people, reach people reach people. Because that's all it's about. It's not about the stinking lights up here. It's not about the sound. It's not about projectors and cool logos. It's not about Chris being, being funny and getting up here and teaching. It's not about this. It's not about any of that junk. It's about people. It's about reaching people. If this building burns down tomorrow and we don't have anywhere to go, I still want us to be passionate about reaching people. And as, along with the passion is that we would just start to begin to be passionate about serving in our church. There are so many ministries in this church that are starved for volunteers. The same people are here every single week. I get paid to be here. So for me, I suck it up and I come. But man, there are so many of these people. They're over there watching your kids right now. They're over there teaching them about Jesus. There's, we need more greeters in the front to greet people that are literally the face of our church. When guests walk in, that they're out there. We need more greeters than we know what to do with. And so many of us, we come in here and we sit every week. We sit. And that is not being the church. It's not being the church. Just because we come and we listen to music and sermons, it doesn't make us effective. We have to do something to be effective for the kingdom of God. So I just want us to get passionate about volunteering, passionate about volunteering in our church, yes. our church, not my church, Chris's church, Danny's church, but your church. That's right. If you're going to call it your church, get involved and get passionate about reaching people. That's mm-hmm. it's absolutely what I want to see.
0: And uh, there was three, so I'm going to do the third one. You know, one of the things in, um, that I would say is just that we would make an impact in our community. I I met with Miss Gayla Jeffries, who's the principal here at Northeast High School this past week, and um, uh, I said, "Listen, what can we do for you guys?" You know, um, we said, "You know, we'd like to be able to hang some lights and just donate those to you guys so that you can use it." And she, literally, she's like, her mouth is open, and she says, "I said, dream big. What can we do for your school and for this community?" that you've been wanting to do, but just hadn't been able to do it. And, um, you know, I believe so many times churches, we have this tendency to, it's about us and, and building our kingdom, and it's not about our kingdom. It's about God's kingdom. And that may mean that, you know, we may give some video projectors here and we may uh, hang out and do some more landscaping. How many of y'all worked on landscaping last year at Northeast last year? You remember that? It was hotter than Cootie Brown, wasn't it? All right? But we are giving, that we're not just receiving, but that we're a church that gives. You know, as we close today... One day we're all going to be up in heaven. And one church is going to be no more. There's going to be one church. And it ain't going to be this church. It's going to be everybody. All right? And God's going to, I really think, in a lot of ways ask me a question. What did you do? You are a part of a church in North Clarksville but what did you do? were you so busy doing your thing and doing your church's agenda that you didn't make an impact and, have, and you weren't on board with my agenda? And I, I don't want that to be said of me. And I don't want that to be said of this church. So it's our goal, it's our dream that whenever Jesus comes back, that there will be a host of people up in heaven because of what you did. Uh, I, I, I give you a couple. This this morning, I'm, I'm out putting up the flagpoles, you know, the, the things. And it was raining cats and dogs. And Tommy and Robin London, they're right back there. Everybody wave at Tommy and Robin. They're, they're back there. And, and, and we're trying to tap these flagpoles, and, and we're sopping wet. And this is what Tommy said. I said, Tommy, thank you so much for serving. He says, man, it's a privilege, Chris. He says, you know, with us during summer, we don't have to strike down anymore. Can somebody say praise Jesus? Oh, my gosh, we don't have to tear this stuff down anymore. He says, I'm going to miss it. He says, because I know I'm making a difference. We roll these cords, we do all of this stuff not to make anybody look good because but because we know people are going to walk through this door who have never been to church before and connect with their Heavenly Father. And that is what it's all about. That is what it's all about. To lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ.
4: You make all things work together for my good. You make all things work together for my good. Cause you make, you make all things work together for my good. You stay the same through the ages. Sing it out. You stay the same through the ages. And your love never changes There may be pain in the night But joy comes in the morning And when the oceans rage I don't have to be afraid Because I know that you love me And
1: your love never fails Church, can we lift up a shout to him today for that? It's a song we haven't done in a while. It's called Healer. Just sing it with us if you know it.
4: Hold my every moment. All my every moment, you calm my rage and seas, you walk with me through fire and you heal all my disease. Oh I trust in me. I trust in you. I believe. And I believe. To him, church. I believe you're my portion, Lord. And I believe you're my portion.
3: And I believe you're more than.
4: is impossible for you you hold my world
1: in your hands lift up a shout to our healer today church yeah
3: I can
4: There is none so high and holy, the King of kings, the one and only. You are adored. You are the Lord. There is none so high.
3: You are the Lord
5: love you and we thank you that we have an opportunity to come here and to meet with you. More importantly, Father, we praise you that we can meet with you wherever we are. I ask, Father, that today that you would touch us in a way that only you can and that none of us would leave here the same, that you would change us, refine us, and that let our lives, Father, just bring glory to your name. We love you and we praise you.
1: Amen. Amen. Can we lift up a shout to our God today, church? Yeah. Yeah. Um, But before we dismiss the children, um, Cordy, come here again. um, I did this first service and she cried a little. So could you not do that this time? Because I'm trying to hold it in. Um, Cordy, this is going to be her last week with us. Um, She and Andy. Andy, raise your hand. Anna. Anna. Down here and little Josh, um, we're uh, dropping stuff. We're gonna, we're gonna really miss you guys. And um, you guys have been such a vital part of what we do here. And uh, yeah, and you rock out, you know. <laughs> so uh, yeah, you guys just thank them, thank their family, thank Forty. Um, we're going to go ahead and, um, and dismiss our children at this point. You guys can go. And again, we don't really know what the subject matter is going to be. So uh, if you have children that normally stay in here with you and you don't want certain things talked about in front of them, they can go now. Awesome. Thanks, guys.
0: Good morning. Welcome to One Church. How you guys doing? Good. Wonderful. We're doing as good as well. Are any of y'all hot? Oh, yes. Praise Jesus. Um, hey, I want to say just a special thanks to all of those military men and women and the families this weekend. Uh, this is... a. Uh, This is a time um, where we say thanks one weekend a year for the sacrifice not only you make, um, but uh, families you make day in and day out. Um, And we just want to say thank you very much. Uh, We don't do that enough, and we love you guys and guys very much, so... Um, Today, we are a third week in our four-week series called Some Questions Can't Be Answered by Google. Let me tell you, the reason why we're doing this series is because we know there's some people out there that you just have some questions. And you've been kind of on the fringes of Christianity. And um, you just, the reason why you haven't really given it your all is because you have some questions and nobody's really, you know, answered your questions and um, we're just, that's the reason why we're doing this, is just so that we can kind of be with you guys and dialogue. Um, we don't know what's going to be coming up. Um, and I will tell you this, though. There are a lot of questions that we may have answered the first hour, that if you weren't here the first hour, there's some people, I kid you not, have been coming both hours because uh, they they want to hear both questions. Um, I would, we are taking both sermons and we're combining them together and we're putting that on the podcast as well as you can listen to it off of our website exitonechurch.org and um, if we get a question we say we've already answered that one and we answered that last week uh, that way you can go and listen to it. I'll also say this that um, if we don't get to your question because one of the things we've realized is you guys are really quick at texting and, uh, and we're a little bit slower at responding because I'm verbose. And uh, so uh, after this series, all of our teaching pastors are going to get together, and we're going to take four or five questions, or we're going to take all the questions, and we're going to answer them, and we're going to do it in a newsletter format, so um, just to let you know. All right, le- uh, to my left, Danny Brier. And to my right, no, it's, it's Joshua Woodleaf. Let's give it up for Josh. All right, cool. All right, let's get started. First question I see on my computer. Since there are good and bad consequences for every decision, whether saved or unsaved, how can we say it's God's answering and not a natural course of events? Mm, I need a Coke. All right. All right. Since there are good and bad consequences for every decision, whether saved or unsaved, how can we say it's God's answering and not a natural course of events? All right.
1: Danny, how do you feel?
2: <laughs> that's a tough question. Um, I guess it depends on you know. Lots of, we make lots and lots of decisions, and you know, some decisions really don't have necessarily good or bad consequences. I don't know if that's necessarily true for everything, but for many things, God clearly has put into place and into order an order in our world. Uh, that's what we call nature in a sense, but God's the one that established nature. He's the one that established that order, and he's the one that established the consequences that come with certain kinds of, of decisions. For instance, the consequence of death thats the uh, that comes with the decision of sin. Uh, he, From the very beginning, he told Adam and Eve, you know, in the day that you eat, you will die. It was the, the, it was stated, and the decision was there. So that consequence, I think, is pretty uh, clear. And it's, um, how can we say it's, whether saved or unsaved. Maybe that question is asking about prayer and whether things are just the natural consequences. I'm not really quite sure. I'm going to pass to one of you. All right. Well,
0: I like talking. Um, I do. There are consequences to every decision. It's like uh, if I, here's a water bottle. If I pick up one end of the water bottle, I'm picking up both ends, right? Um, for every decision we make, there's a consequence. Decision, consequence. You grab, make one decision, there's a consequence. Um, God set that up. In fact, in um, in Exodus, he tells the children of Israel, he says, Here's what you're going to do. He says, that he put them on, there's 12 tribes, and he put six on one mountain called Mount Ebal, and he put six on another mountain called Mount Gerizim. And what they did is, why are you laughing? Keep on. I'll come. I'll just, I'll just, I'll just, it's the Ebal, right? That's he's what he's trying to it. avoid the question. <laughs> um, so what he does is he puts six tribes on Mount Ebal, six tribes on Mount Gerizim, and um, and what they do is at one uh, on Mount Gerizim, they said if we obey God. Then blessings, this will happen. We're going to be fruitful and multiply. Uh, we're going to have children. Um, we're going to have. Uh, uh, we're going to not be in debt. We're going to have all of this stuff. All right, all this stuff happens because we chose to obey. And then on Mount Ebal, the six tribes would say, "Okay, because we've chosen to disobey, then here are the co- consequences for that." So you know, is it God's answering a natural course of events? I don't think there is a natural course of event, events. Mm-hmm. If you make a choice and God told you not to. The consequence for that is it, okay, it's like God says, I want you to be sexually pure. And you choose to disobey that. And because of that, things happen. Um, if you're a guy, girl, you dabble in pornography, your mind is is warped, and you have this, this skewed view of intimacy. Is that a natural course of events? No. God said, Don't do it. Uh, um, God says listen i don 't want you to lie, and you start lying and you lie to this person you lie to this person, and you can 't keep it all together and and you get caught out and you get fired. Was that a natural course of events i don 't think so. I think all God is in control of everything, and um, when we start separating, well, if I do this on Sunday and this is okay, but if I do it Monday through saturday it's you know it's just it 's natural it 's all spiritual, everything is spiritual. there is no secular. Everything is spiritual, and when we choose wrongly, the things are going to happen. Things are going to happen. All right, I'll beat that. You want to say anything?
1: Sure. Um, I think with this question as well, um, you know, it, it said saved or unsaved. I, I think the word picture I kind of like to think about with God, it's almost as if God is the president. You know, Barack Obama is your president whether you like him or not. Um, that's a different issue. But whether you like him or you dislike him, he's still the President of the United States, and his decisions still affect you. And it's the same with God. Saved or unsaved, it doesn't matter. He's in control of everything. Um, that's just kind of how I like cool. to see it.
0: That's good. Good. You, you answered that in a whole lot less words than I did. I have that gift. <laughs> Maybe you should answer all the questions. How many of y'all want to, Josh to answer all of them? All right, that's Daniel, a bad just, idea. It's a bad idea. I'm going to take some
1: consequences.
0: Hold on. All righty. Next question. What type of accountability should be used for pastors and staff members, and are we using it? That is a great question. Let's say this. Jeremiah 17 says the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? That includes all of us up here are sinners. Um, so, what type of accountability should be used for pastors and staff? Well, one of the ways that we've done it here at One Church, and, um, and we actually have multiple layers of accountability. Um, when it comes to money, I don't know what people make. I don't, you know, I don't single handedly write checks by myself. Um, I don't deal with the money. Our executive pastor, Danny Burier, does that. Um, we have a staff where it's not just um, we have full time staff, and then we have volunteer staff. And um, we, uh, we did it that way so that there could be accountability for me and Josh and Ashley. They're our, uh, our full-time pastors. And um, the rest, of uh, Danny Buryer is a, a volunteer. Uh, Mike Nelson, who's not here, is a volunteer. Luther Ramsey's a volunteer. Andy Wargo, who's, this is his last Sunday, um, he, he's been on staff. He, uh, he's a volunteer. Greg Walker, um, I'm trying to think, I want to make sure I, I didn't Ashley. miss uh, Ashley. Well, I, I mentioned Ashley. She's not a volunteer, so pay her. Oh. We we still pay it right. Yes. So, um, yes, we did. Anyway, uh, so uh, uh, we are we all meet on Mondays, and we don't make decisions just Chris, because this is not a dictatorship. Um, we do everything in team based leadership. Now, even in those decisions, we have another church that holds us accountable financially, and I have a boss that I report to. Um, and uh, so uh, another church has given us guidance in that as well. So that's our accountability structure. And uh, this year uh, we're actually working on getting church governance in place, where we have elders and, and deacons and all that stuff. And you can definitely be praying for that. Uh, so anyway, so anything you want to add to that? I'm gonna, I would just add
2: this is our ultimate accountability. We're accountable to God, and everything that we do has to come through. Uh, God's leading to us and through the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God. and We hold ourselves accountable and we want to be held accountable to the Word of God. We should never do anything that is not consistent with what God's Word says. Mm -hmm. and We try to do that and talk back and forth, but that is exactly, you know, what accountability, God's the one that put that in place. We need to submit ourselves to
0: Him. That's right. Everything that we do is evaluated. My sermons are evaluated. Worship is evaluated. We evaluate all of that on Monday nights. And uh, so there's been some many nights that I've had to go in and I had to apologize to the staff and said, um, um, you know, I, I said something that I shouldn't have said. And that happens to me a lot, to be quite honest with you, because I talk a lot. So, anyway. All right. Next question. <laughs> I'm reading the question. Uh, for the love of everything. Holy. Holy. Answer this question. Can you lose your salvation? Yes or no? No. Next question. <laughs> Okay, I, I'm, I'm just gonna y'all gonna get me preaching this morning. All right. I I want to just go and, and and just look at some stuff real quick. And I know you wanted a yes or no, but y'all y'all know I can't do that. John five twenty four. I've answered it, but I'm gonna give you some scripture behind that. John five twenty four says this. Um, I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have. Everybody say the word have. Have eternal life. They will never, everybody say never? They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. Have. Not hope to get. Not one day you're gonna pray real hard. Have. Everybody say have? Is that clear? All right. You know I'm gonna keep on going though, because I just like preaching. All right. Uh, John 6 38. All right, John 6, 38 through 40 says this. "Um, For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me and not to do my own will. And this is the will of God that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me. Um, He says, you know what? I'm not going to lose anybody. All right. Now, think about this. If somebody accepts Jesus Christ and has eternal life and then they lose eternal life, then it wasn't eternal, was it? Right? Let's just, let's just play some words, all right? Let's talk about that, all right? I'm going to just throw out some more verses. Romans 8, 1. For those who are in Christ Jesus, you are never condemned. Everybody say the word never. All right? Um, I'm going to keep on going. Uh, John chapter 10, uh, verse uh, 27 through 29. All right? Um, uh, my sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. What was that? No one can snatch them away. Are you no one? Yes. All right. All right. Uh, Last one, Acts, Epistle, of Romans. Romans, by the way, I didn't cuss there. I said Acts, the Epistle of the Romans. All right, just to let you know. Um, Verse 38, if you go back and listen to the podcast, you realize I was just... See, that's right there. I got myself in trouble right there. All right. Uh, Romans eight thirty-eight, And I am convinced that nothing, everybody said the word nothing, nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Next question.
1: If you'd come out of your show, you'd be all, all right.
0: right. <laughs> you know? As a wife, how do you sow submission to your husband when he's not making godly decisions?
2: We're really qualified to answer that question.
0: Yeah. This is where I really need my wife up here. I'm telling you what, because I've made some jacked up decisions in the past. Um, who wants to answer that?
1: I got married five months ago. I don't have a clue. Y'all
0: know. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I love you, baby. You know, somebody, Tony Evans said this. He says the, de- the best definition of submission he's ever heard is, is the wife ducking so that when God swings, he hits your man. So you know what? If your husband is making ungodly decisions, God's going to deal with it. Really, He's going to deal with him.
2: Chris, please go ahead. To, one of the things about that question, when he's making, not making godly decisions, and I think that's nowhere does the no words Bible I think command uh, anyone in submission to, to submit to something that is disobedient. That's right. Uh, so if your husband is being disobedient. To God's word, you're not commanded to submit uh, to Him and be disobedient as well. That's not the that's not the way Scripture.
0: Can we give an example? Uh, let's say your husband is saying, I, "I'm going to go rob a bank, and I want you to go rob the bank with me." Okay, are you supposed to submit and say, "Yes, dear, let's go to legends," All right? No. All right, you, you say, "You know what? I love you, but God's word says, you know, don't steal. So I'm not going to do that." Continue.
2: And I would just. So I think that's one of the ground rules that we have to lay. And so often we talk about submission as if it's this kind of control or rule over and, and, a, and, and a domination over the, the husband, over the wife, the leaders, over the church. That's not the point at all. You know, we're supposed to, husbands, we're supposed to serve our wives. I've been married for 30 years. Uh, I can tell you that this is something that in our, the course of our marriage, there have been a few times where it's come up where Shannon and I just